This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, February 27th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The low-tax, low-spending, low-debt coalition that forms the Tea Party movement should be working this year to consolidate the gains of the 2010 election cycle. That from American Spectator senior editor John Fund. Fund argues that the Tea Partiers are deepening their influence within government in a variety of ways. We spoke February 16th. The Tea Party movement had great electoral success in 2010, and uh, one of the concerns really from the very beginning of the Tea Party movement was this idea of how do we keep this uh, odd coalition from fracturing. Uh, Do you have any particular thoughts about uh, how that ought to occur? Well, what you find in American politics is – American politics is a series of movements that spring up and challenge the establishment. And they either eventually go away or they become integrated into the establishment. They become a part of a new establishment. We saw that with the feminist movement in the 1960s, the anti-war movement. Um, We are seeing it now with the Tea Party, uh, which is, I think, for want of a better word, slowly becoming a wing of the Republican Party, sort of the anti-government wing of the Republican – anti-big government wing of the Republican Party. Uh, We're seeing that played out. There are fewer demonstrations now because – The immediate political goal of blocking Barack Obama's agenda was achieved in 2010 with the election of a conservative House of Representatives and a much reduced Democratic majority in the Senate. Now I think it's moved to consolidating some of those gains. You see that in primary challenges this spring. Uh, Richard Murdoch, the state treasurer of Indiana, is challenging Dick Lugar, the 30-odd-year incumbent in Indiana. Uh, You're seeing that in uh, Utah where uh, Dick Lillianquist is challenging Orrin Hatch, a long-term stalwart of the Republican establishment. So then, of course, you go on to the fall. I think Tea Party people are still as active as ever, but the label perhaps is not so much in the news. But ultimately, their influence, I think, can be still felt because they've just been given the sincerest form of flattery, which is the creation of the Occupy Wall Street movement, what I call Tea Party Envy. Uh, the left decided, you know, we don't know where this grassroots army came from. We don't know uh, why they're doing what they're doing, but we do know they're successful and we have to imitate them. And I think Occupy Wall Street is the astroturf version of the Tea Party created by the left. In terms of, uh, you said consolidate the gains that they made in uh, 2010 and beyond. Uh, some of the, the people that I talked to who are proud Tea Partiers say, we're getting involved at, at local races, state-level races. They're Ballot trying initiatives. to sort of try to deepen the bench uh, of, of what I, I assume are mostly Republican uh, offices with Tea Partiers. And also nonpartisan offices. You know, America has 325 million people, but we have almost a million people who serve an elected office. And it ranges from drain commissioner to mosquito control abatement boards on one end, to the president and the vice president, all the members of Congress on the other. Um, A lot of these things are not necessarily partisan. They involve nonpartisan races in which government isn't working as effectively as it should, and people are getting involved in that, school boards. Uh, One of the biggest problems the pro-freedom movement has always had is it's made up primarily of people who, well, let's just say, they want to engage in that classic American freedom, which is to forget about politics and get on with the serious business of living. Their major concerns are their family, their job, their faith, their children, their hobbies. Uh, they don't want to be involved in politics. 
the rise of the Tea Party meant a whole bunch of people decided politics is too important to be left just to the politicians. So for a long time, the left and liberals dominated these lower-level races that you mentioned uh, because nobody else wanted to run for them. Uh, it was the minutia of government. Well, increasingly, people are saying, well, I either want to get involved in my community and make things better, or I want to get, use that as a stepping stone to try to for higher office once I've learned the basic mechanics of government at the local level. And that's a big change because in the past, uh, you know, you've elected a president like Ronald Reagan, but down below, uh, the infrastructure of politics has been still dominated by big government people. I think the Tea Party now is challenging that. Tea Partiers were very clear in the initial uh, launch of the Tea Party movement is that they were as upset with Republicans as they were with Democrats. And uh, in the early days of Occupy Wall Street, uh, I heard a lot of people saying, well, we're just as upset with Barack Obama as we are with uh, Republicans. Uh, I hear less of that uh, from Occupy Wall Street folks now, and I hear a little less of that from uh, the Tea Party uh, people as well. What you find in an election is, you know, people become segregated into two sports teams, shirts and skins. So there's some of that that's natural because politics, unlike the market, is a binary process. You know, you can't pick any product you want. You have to pick between flawed product A and flawed product B in our two-party system, uh, or Tweedledum or Tweedledee, depending on how you look at it. Um, I do think that the Tea Party, at its best, is still trying to curb the excesses of the Republican Congress that got tossed out in 2006. For example, they prevented the Senate from bringing back earmarks. They're launching these primary challenges I mentioned. So I think where it's important the Tea Party is still holding Republicans to account. Uh, Democrats, not so much in the Occupy Wall Street movement. They said that they were upset with Barack Obama and the bailouts. But in reality, I didn't see them demonstrate at Barack Obama events. Um, I think that part of that is the Occupy Wall Street people was an, was an outgrowth of an organized effort on the left. We know in New York that the main organizers of the Occupy Wall Street movement came out of the old ACORN establishment. You know, ACORN was that ridiculous group that uh, had all that voter registration fraud and they were caught on videotape uh, by someone uh, trying to assist a purported prostitute and pimp in setting up, you know, illegal whorehouses. They collapsed, but the leadership is still out there under new mismanagement, you know, forming left-wing groups. And they basically were the inspiration and the infrastructure for Occupy Wall Street. Well, it's no surprise that if you have that, they're not going to be highly critical of President Obama. Because guess what? President Obama, his first job in politics was with an ACORN affiliate. He then became a top trainer for ACORN, and then he became ACORN's lawyer. He's married in ACORN. So for the organized left to take off after Obama, even though they may have some legitimate grievances with him, uh, it would be like um, like cutting off your own arm. I'm from Kentucky, and uh, Rand Paul came out of uh, you know is seemingly nowhere to beat Mitch McConnell's handpicked uh, uh, choice for the U.S. Senate. He then beat a popular Democrat in Kentucky by I think 12 or 15 points, and uh, you know uh, others like Mike Lee of Utah have uh, you know seemingly come out of nowhere to become you know, leading forces within the Tea Party and in the U.S. Senate. They, the two of them, in fact, were uh, led the charge uh, against reauthorization of the Patriot Act. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's been surprising in some ways the, the kinds of votes that a lot of these members of Congress, these new Tea Party members of Congress have made. Well, 
I would say there's some members of Congress who came with support from the Tea Party and there's some who came from the Tea Party. And there's a difference. And would you draw a distinction between like a Marco Rubio and a Rand Paul in that, in that regard? Yeah. I think Marco Rubio is a savvy political player. He was Speaker of the Florida House of Representatives. He was elected with Tea Party support, but he doesn't consider himself of the Tea Party. Um, the voting record of those all those senators may be close, but some of the, des the desire or the ability to shake up the establishment may differ a little bit. Uh, Rand Paul was an eye doctor in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Never run for anything. I was a United States senator. Um, Mike Lee was a constitutional lawyer. As far as I know, he'd never run for anything. Pat Toomey had been in Congress, but he was basically a small businessman and had worked on Wall Street. So I think what you're seeing with a lot of the Tea Party freshmen, either in the Senate or in the House, is some of them are accommodating themselves to the establishment, but they're very solicitous of their Tea Party roots because they know that the movement that helped elect them can also turn on them and make life very uncomfortable for them. And some of the Tea Party people have still got all their fire and all their principles, but they recognize that Washington is a place where you have to dot the I's and cross the T's. You can't be a bomb thrower. Alan West from Florida is a perfect example. I think he's adapted himself into a role where he still believes what he believes, but he recognizes that you have to play the political game as well as critique it. John Fund is a senior editor at The American Spectator. We spoke prior to a forum for the book, Tea Party Patriots. You can watch that forum at our website, cato.org.